Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who shows up in days like this, when we have the opportunity and privilege to sit in a room with other believers and people and get to hear your word spoken and sung and, and talked about. Lord, we are so grateful that you continue to be a God who comes to us. So Lord, we ask now that you come into this room, that you reveal yourself to us, that you teach us something new. Lord, each one of us has different things that we come in with, different weeks, different burdens, and we know that you are the one who can transform, and you meet us in those. So, Lord, take each of our lives, take our our souls, our hearts, our spirits, our minds, point them towards you. Chisel out eyes and ears out of our granite heads so we might see what you have in store for us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming to church this morning. Um, I realize that every morning it is a challenge to wake up and to get dressed and to come, especially on this right before 4th of July. All of you are sitting there just waiting for the holiday and hot dogs and hamburgers and fireworks. And so um, I appreciate you coming here today. And it's really important also because this story, this time in the Gospel of John, If you miss these next couple of stories, it's going to feel like when you're watching a Netflix show and you started the show and then you miss a couple of episodes and you're like, wait, they're the murderer? And like, yeah, we learned that two episodes ago. But I didn't know that. Yeah, because you missed those episodes. You didn't know what was happening. Oh, this story all flows out of each other, right? It teaches us, it builds on each other. So you being here, you taking the time and saying, yeah, let's jump into John, is something that will help you to go, oh, this ties to that, which ties to there, and that's why this is important. So don't miss the episodes of the Netflix show, right? Let's be together in the midst of this. So John, why do we say that? Because what just happened is important, Jesus just fed 5,000 people. If you open your Bibles to John chapter 6, and you're here with us, let's go through this together. John chapter 6, Jesus begins by feeding 5,000 people. He had become very popular. People were following Jesus. People were going to him. They wanted to spend time with him. They wanted to see him. Primarily, they wanted him to solve their problems. He was doing great works and acts. He was healing people. He was raising up sick people. He was causing people to walk. He's doing all of these Messiah things, and they're loving it. So 5,000 of them are there. They look. They don't have food for 5,000 because none of us have food for 5,000. It's hard enough to feed 80 of us every Sunday, but 5,000 people is a lot of people to food. And what does Jesus say? He says, go and do it. Um, With what? And he takes those couple of fish and that basket and he feeds them. Now, we live in a day and age where none of you are worried about lunch, because we have lunch here, but in general, you don't lay down your head in bed and go, I wonder how we're going to eat tomorrow. 
I wonder if we're going to have enough ability to gather the grain that we need and, and get the meat that we need to be able to eat. We go to the store and it's there. We can do that. Food was a constant stress for them, a constant worry. Every moment of every day, you're wondering, how am I going to eat? Do I have enough? Where do we go? And the one who just gives food out, the one who just provides food, bread and fishes, and it never ends for 5,000 people, you say, let's make that guy king. If he can solve my food issue, if he can solve the stress that I have every day about my next meal, I want him around all the time. I'll do whatever he says. I'll follow him. Why? He can solve my belly issue. So they want to make him Messiah. They want to make him king. But he's going, I'm not going to be the king you want because I'm not just going to be the vending machine of food. And so he retreats back. They're looking for him. They can't find him. The disciples jump in a boat and they go across the sea because 5,000, at least they're fed, but confused, probably getting slightly angry people, not great crowd to be around, right? 5,000, all of that happening. So what happens then is we go and they get out on the sea and they get going to, to do these things. So when evening came, his disciple went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, the word for sea, when we see in Greek, um, when I took Greek to my undergraduate degree, you had all of these different words that you had to memorize. Greek words are easier to memorize than Hebrew words because they sound more familiar. Like photos in Greek, you know what that means? Take a guess. Light. Ah, there you go. That one's not that easy. Graphe. What do you think that means? Writing. Oh, these are easy words. Kind of remember. So a photograph is a light writing. Right? And there you go. You have some Greek now. But some words are a little harder to memorize. This word is the word for sea, phylosa. And so the way that I memorize this is at the sea, you see a lot of thigh. And that was the thylosa in the word for sea or ocean. As they go out onto the sea, they encounter trouble. Another thing that we don't consider as much how many of you have been on a massive cruise ship out in the middle of the ocean somewhere? Okay, I have not, but a lot of you have. When you're sitting on that massive cruise ship, you are not actively afraid of the sea. And if you were, I'm assuming you wouldn't pay thousands of dollars to go onto the cruise ship. You know you have a big boat, they have GPS, they know where they're going. When you went on the sea in this time, it was dangerous. The sea in Scripture almost always represents danger. Because if you get away from the shore and you can't get back and the winds change and the weather changes, everything is bad. And it's really scary really quickly. They didn't have the weather channel. They didn't have weather reports. They didn't have GPS. And so when you pull out into the sea, the sea represents chaos. The sea represents danger. Especially when you go into the book of Revelation, you'll see in the opening chapter, when, or Revelation 4, when John goes up into the throne room, there's still the sea around the throne. And there's this chaos before you can get to the throne. At the end of Revelation, the sea disappears. 
the chaos, the disorder, the, the pain disappears. So these disciples, in order to leave the crowd, the energy of the crowd, they jump into a boat and they head out into the sea. And while they're out in the sea, the winds come up. And everything starts whipping around them. And they're afraid. Because if you sink, horrible things happen. There is no coast guard. There is no one to come and save you. You are out in the middle of the sea battling against the elements. And this is where the disciples are. And where is Jesus? Up on some hill somewhere. Just watching them. And now this is a story that Jesus, that is in three of the Gospels, if you want to write down in your Bible, Matthew 14, Mark chapter 6, we see Jesus walking on the water. Jesus then sees them. So the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. There's a unique thing that John does here that Matthew and Mark do differently. Matthew and Mark tell the story of Jesus' walking on water from Jesus' perspective. He sees them, and he comes out to them. So Jesus sees the trouble that they're in, and he goes to them. John puts us in the boat. They're in the boat. It's windy. The waves are picking up. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And Jesus is not here. We had tried to leave that crowd. We found this other place on the water. We're away from them, but we're in the midst of chaos. That is the position that the disciples find themselves in. All of that energy, uh, the, the Greek word here is phobeo, which is this word phobia, fear. There's a deep fear that the disciples are feeling when they're sitting in this boat. They've gone from one situation, you know, kind of out of the pot into the kettle or what's the, into the fire. And they feel afraid. They do row a ways, three or four miles. Then they saw Jesus walking on the sea. Now, I think it's important that we, at least in our brains, make the connection that Jesus had just miraculously fed 5,000 people. The Israelites know the story of themselves in the wilderness when they were hungry and they needed food. So he fed them, God fed them with manna, the what is it, on the ground, and the doves out of the ground, out of the air, right? Now, they got sick of this food very quickly, and they just said, oh, all we have is this bread, and this is not going well. But God fed them in the wilderness, Moses' great redemption story is going through the Red Sea, right? So Moses took and walked through the water, took his people out of Egypt into the promised land through the water. How does Jesus come to his people? Not through the water, but on top of the water, okay? Coming to them on top of the water after having fed them, fed 5,000 people. They are terrified. They're sitting in their boats. They're afraid. They're not sure what's going to happen. And now they're afraid for another reason. Some dude is coming to them on the water, which is a whole other reason to be afraid, right? 
Many of us have been on cruise ships. None of us have ever seen anyone walk on water. So you're afraid, the wind is going, the wind's blowing, and then one of your friends says, I think someone's coming to us. No, that can't be. I'm pretty sure they're jogging on the water to us. Really? They're coming on the water? That can't be good. It's probably one of those 5,000. I don't think they could walk on water. Maybe they can. So now we don't really have the sea to fight, but we have this person coming out to us. And as Jesus comes with them and towards them, they have so many reasons to be afraid. And what is the first thing he says to them? He says this beautiful phrase, it is I. Now, please, if you have your Bible, underline that it is I. Take a moment because we need to talk about this phrase. I want to use this moment to introduce the rest of these phrases. Because John uses this phrasing, it is I, throughout his gospel. Remember during this sermon, we're going to do two things. We're going to look at the seven miracles, the seven wonders, signs and wonders. Here's one of them. And the other thing we're going to do is look at the seven I am statements. The seven it is I statements. The I am statements, the Greek behind the I am statements, is this brief phrase, ego Amy. Ego, Amy. You can just write that out the way it sounds. The reason this is important is in the Greek, the word Amy is a, a verb that is sufficient in itself. It is the first person singular, I am. And if you say I am, you say Amy. That's all you need to say because it contains the fact that I am doing the work. Ego is then on top of that, which is, means I. So when they translate this, they triply translate it, I myself am. There's an emphasis on the I. The reason this is the case is because as you go through the Old Testament, when Jesus, I'm sorry, when God is named he calls himself Yahweh, the I am. I myself am, but that's Hebrew. So now, and please venture with me just for a moment. The Greek Old Testament is called the Septuagint. When they translated the Hebrew into Greek in the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint. So that would be the Old Testament that most of the people would have read regularly because it was in the common tongue, Koine Greek. When you come to these phrases where God calls himself by his name, the Yahweh, the Greek makes a choice of translating that as ego eimi. So his, God's name the Yahweh, becomes in Greek the ego eimi. So John picks up on that tradition and he uses it in Jesus' own mouth to call himself God. Okay, so we're, tra we're tracking so far, I hope. It's a little bit complicated, but it's important that we go there. Um, and if we open our Bibles real quick, we can see this in Isaiah um, chapter 43. 
If you um, want to flip back there with me, one of the big Old Testament books. But Isaiah chapter 43, um, it says, let me find the exact verse to take us to. You can see in Isaiah 43 all of the messianic prophecies there. Um, He says, uh, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Uh, verse 8, bring forth the people who are blind, yet have eyes. Who are deaf, yet have ears. Let all the nations gather together. Do you hear the Messiah kind of terms coming out of this? And then Isaiah 43, verse 11. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. In the Greek Septuagint, that phrase there, 11, 43, 11, I, I am the Lord, is ego eimi. When Jesus says that, he is saying something very important. And none of the people would have missed it. They would not miss the fact that he is relating himself, calling himself God. And so very often, and I'd be curious if in your Bible, they will leave this phrase and they'll capitalize it. It'll say the I am, and it'll all be in caps because they don't want you to miss it. And if you don't have one of those Bibles, underline these phrases because they're important. They're important that Jesus is saying something more than just, hey, here I am. But he's bringing with himself the power and presence of God. Now, and I was pointed out to this uh, by one of you, and I appreciate it. This is not the first time Jesus has used the phrase, I am. He does it earlier. And you can see, this is a commentary that I've been using. There are two different versions of the I am statements in the Gospel of John. The first are the absolute I am sayings without a predicate nominative. That's a fun word, right? Do you all remember your English lessons? A predicate nominative? Emily? No, me neither. I'd look this up. Fair. Predicate nominative means um, I am the bread of life, right? The bread of life, a predicate nominative. I am the gate. That's the predicate nominative, okay? So here you'll notice he doesn't say a predicate nominative, Right? He says, I am. The statements that we call the I am statements are the ones where he uses a predicate nominative. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came out of heaven. I am the light of the world. Those are the predicate nominative statements. Let's just take a brain break for a second. Because we just threw a lot at you. I am, predicate all of those interesting things. Breath. Okay, notice the first one where he says, without a predicate John 4, 26. So if you do have your own Bible, go back to John 4, which is where the woman at the well, the story of the woman at the well is, underline it there. Because he looks to the woman and Jesus said to her, I am the one who is speaking to you. Ego, Amy. That's who I am. The next time he uses it is here. John 6, chapter 20. But he said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. 
when he walks on this water and they see Jesus coming, they are terrified. They are terrified because they're in a boat in the middle of the water trying to escape a crowd and the water has gotten chaotic and they don't know where to go. They are terrified because there is someone walking on the water to them, which is reason to be terrified. When Jesus shows up in the midst of their terror, what is the first thing he says to them? I am. He gives them himself. He gives them his name. The ego Amy has just shown up. Do not be afraid. In the midst of the terror that the disciples feel, Jesus shows up walking on the water, so more than Moses, and answers their terror with his presence. The ego Amy. Both of these reactions are normal. The first is, and if you go through scripture, when God shows up on the scene, the common reaction is terror. Why? Because he is God and we are not. He can destroy us with the flick of his finger. And so we go, whoa, whoa. But yet he is for us. But instead of being the one who destroys us, he is the one who stands for us in our fear. So the reaction to people to God is terror. And God's reaction back to them is don't be afraid. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm for you. And that's what we need to read and hear in the story. That Jesus is not here to destroy his people, but he's for his people. The I am shows up to do the work that we can't do to calm the seas, to steady the land so that he can bring peace. Peace doesn't come through them rowing. Peace doesn't come through them encouraging each other. Peace comes when Jesus shows up with his presence. The I am shows up and says, do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the land towards which they were going. How that happened, we're not sure. But the resolution came when Christ's presence showed up. So the midst of the fear, the midst of their terror, the I am comes and says, do not be afraid. Every one of us in this room, we have reason to be afraid. We go and we look at the amount of food we have and we say, we don't have enough. We look at our bank account and we say, we don't have enough. We look at our energy and we say, we don't have enough. We look at our peace and say, we don't have enough. Jesus answers that by feeding the 5,000, by going out into the water, walking on the water, showing up with his presence, saying, I am, do not be afraid. The way that fear is conquered is not by working harder, but by looking to the source of peace. By looking to the one who can calm the sea. And he's not there to destroy you. He's for you. Going in front of you. Bringing himself. Bringing his very presence. And he hasn't stopped Yet, because of Pentecost, we know 
that God is still in this place. The Holy Spirit is still feeling and filling us, giving us himself so that we can have peace and take it out into this world and we can be a people who are known for peace and love and hope that we carry. That's not because we've done something, but because we know who the Prince of Peace is. And so, we understand the reasons to be afraid. But yet we know the one who gives peace. So draw near to him. Draw near to the one who has the words, I am. Who carries the authority of God and he brings himself into the situation. Immediately after this, you can see, and this is next week. Again, you don't want to miss an episode. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. They also saw that Jesus had not gotten into the boat with his disciples, but that the disciples had gone away alone, and they go looking for him. We need to find the food source. We need to find the one who can do the signs and wonders. And Jesus is about to turn their world upside down. But that's next week. Heavenly Father. We are so grateful that you are the one who shows up with a simple phrase, I am. You are. You are the one. You are the one who brings life and hope and peace. You are the one who shows up into situations that are way beyond our abilities. And you show up with your presence and you bring hope. Lord, we are a people who far too often are overwhelmed with fear are overwhelmed with chaos. We let the situations that we're in, the boats that we're in, the lakes that we're on, we let those rock our worlds and end our sense of comfort. And Lord, we frantically try to row. We row and we row and we row trying to get to shore. Lord, we pray that you come into our situations and you make us aware, aware of your presence, of your hope, of your life. Lord, remind us daily that you are. You are the one who is, who was, and who is to come. You bring peace, hope, and life. Lord, let us pause to believe and to know that you are with us and that you are for us. Lord, for everyone here who is experiencing deep terror at some situation, overwhelmed by the amount of life or pain or suffering, help us to look at the cross and be reminded of the I am.